All right, let's talk about family, family matters. We're going to wrap up our series today entitled Family Matters. And we've spent the last three weeks really talking about the significance of your family. How that every person in the family has a significant role to play. Doesn't matter if you're mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, brother, sister, cousin, uncle, aunt, whoever you are. If you're a part of the family, you have a significant role to play. And you literally, we use this phrase, you are the cultural engineer, right? You're the cultural engineer of your family. And we recognize something. If you look at that first point on our screen, uh, we recognize that the foundation stone of all society is the family. That before there was a community, a school, or a government, God created the family. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we, all, we also have a spiritual family, right? We call it our forever family. And you have a role to play, and you are vital in becoming a cultural engineer. We, we recognize that since the family is the foundation stone of society, if we want to see a cultural shift in society, there has to be a cultural shift in the family. Something has to happen here and here in order for things to happen out there. And on the very first Sunday, we made a little statement I want to just repeat to you this morning. We recognized something. We said there's no such thing as a perfect family, right? There's no such thing as a perfect family, but the family is perfectly designed by God to be the foundation stone for all society. No such thing as a perfect family. But the family is perfectly designed by God to be the foundation stone upon which everything in our world exists. All society, all community, all school, all education, all government is simply a reflection of the condition of the family. Last week we recognized that it's in our families that we discover our identity and that we define our values. We said our identity determines what we believe about ourselves and our value determines what we believe about the world and everyone else in it. So we recognize the importance of identity and values. We talked about a lot of values last week, from the, from the value of hard work to cleanliness to the value of the Word of God and the house of God and the people of God. And we all have these values, and these values are the belief system through which we look at the world. It's what we believe about the world based on the values of our life. And our identity is our belief system about ourself. It's our self-worth, our self-value. And we talked about how that when a, when a kindergartner goes to kindergarten for the first time, when they're five years old and they walk into that kindergarten classroom, they already know, are they loved, are they accepted, are they valuable, are they important? They already have an identity that has been shaped by their family before they ever experience peer pressure before they ever walk into an educational system, they already know who they are and believe in their own identity because of the family that they have been connected with. And so what we're going to see today, we're going to see how that our identity and how that our values create that next element that we're going to talk about. Look at that first point on your outline if you're a note taker today. So it's in our families that we also develop vision. Not only do we discover identity, not only do we define our values, but it's in our families that we develop vision. Our identity and our values create the filter through which we see our lives, see our future, and see our world. Our identity and our values become the filter. It is the vision through which we now see the world, through which we now interpret the world. Think about this. Your vision is your perception and your interpretation of reality. I mean, you know, reality is kind of subjective to the person interpreting it. 
two people, we've seen it, right? We've seen two people go through the exact circumstantial situation and one person come out on the other side of that with, with a realization of victory and accomplishment and God is up to some great things and the other person come out on the other side of it defeated and discouraged and disheartened because they feel like their world is over. How did two people experience the same reality and come out on the other side with a different, with a different world in which they're living? Well, it all came down to the filter or the vision through which they interpreted that reality. And all of a sudden we begin to recognize the significance of the family because now my identity and my values now determine the vision through which I live my life. And it is your perception and interpretation of reality that determines every decision and every choice that you make. Every decision and every choice that you make about your own health, about how you raise your kids, about how you handle your money, by how you serve God, by whether you're involved in God, in, in the church, or in, engaged with God. All of that comes from your perception and interpretation of reality. And if your vision is perverted, then guess what? Your decisions are perverted. Proverbs 29, I love this scripture. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. The New King James translation says where there's no revelation. Revelation is, is, is when the light bulb comes on, right? When that which is hidden now becomes revealed. Where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. This is what I know to be true, and you know it also. Your vision determines your decision. Your vision determines your decision. What you see and how you perceive the world determines the decisions that you're making. You're either resistant or embraceive. You're either combative against that thing that's coming at you or you're willing to press through that thing in your life. And your ability to make decisions is 100% based on the vision that you have for your life. So vision is birthed from identity and from value. And all of a sudden, I now have a vision, a filter, and for all of our young people that love social media, they know how important a filter is, right, guys? The filter changes everything. It can take a bad picture and make it look like a good picture. It can all of a sudden create an ambience and a vision and an idea and a reflection because I just changed the filter. And all of a sudden, we're going to recognize today that every family has a filter through which we interpret our reality. So look at that next point. There it is. It's on your outline again for all you note takers. What is your family filter? Today I want to give you six filters I think that every family has. And we're going to kind of process through, kind of drill down on these six different filters. And I want to challenge you today to ask yourself that question. What is your family filter? What is the filter through which you view, interpret, and perceive the realities of life that are coming at you. Let's look at the first one. The first one is the filter of victory or the filter of defeat. This filter is directly connected to the way that we see our giants, our challenges, and the problems that we face in life. Have you know that everybody faces giants? Come on, somebody. Everybody, every life has problems and challenges. There's no one person exempt. Think about Jesus. Jesus was perfect, and he was rejected, and he was betrayed. And he was crucified. <laughs> he was perfect. 
And he still suffered the problems, the challenges, the setbacks, the difficulty. There was a real enemy and there were real problems and there was real difficulty that came into his life. And he always did the right thing, but yet he still faced problems and challenges and difficulties. And the reason I say that is because sometimes we get this real spiritual mentality that if I just do everything God wants me to do all the time perfectly, my life will be wonderful. Well, if you call down on a cross wonderful, then yes. Your life may be wonderful, but the reality is simply this. Doing the will of God does not exempt you from problems and challenges. Sometimes it sets you up for more of them. But it's still the best place to live your life. Can I get an amen from somebody? So you either have a vision of victory or a vision of defeat. And we all know this to be true already, right? You know people that before anything ever happens, they've already been defeated. Right? We know people that have a defeated mentality. They have a filter of defeat and they look at life and they automatically get out of bed in the morning knowing that the world is probably going to overcome them. And then you flip the coin and we all know those people that have a vision of victory, right? And it doesn't matter what you throw at them. It doesn't matter what, you, what comes against them. They always have this idea that somehow on the other side I'm going to win. Where does that come from? It comes from the filter of your family. It comes from the filter of your family. It comes from your identity and your values that have now created a vision through which you perceive and receive the world. Look with me in Numbers chapter 13. It's the story of the 12 spies. Moses sent 12 spies in the promised land. Ten of the spies came back and gave a negative report. Two of the spies gave a good report. And this is one of those guys. His name is Caleb. The Bible says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able. We are well able to overcome it. Well, look at the next verse. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report about the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, who came from the giants. And look at this next phrase. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. See, they had an identity problem. How they saw themselves was how they saw the world. They had an identity problem. They saw themselves as grasshoppers, and because they saw themselves as grasshoppers, then everybody else looks like a giant. If I'm a grasshopper, you're a giant. If I'm a grasshopper, I'm already defeated because you're already bigger than me, and you're already stronger than me, and you've already got an advantage over me. And the reason their vision of the world was corrupted is because their vision of themselves had already been perverted. We are grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were, they said, in their sight. Now, I wonder how did they know that? Did they interview the giants? <laughs> or was that an assumption that they made based on their own faulty identity that had now perverted their vision of the world? See, I meet people all the time that think everybody's against them when nobody even knows their name. Y'all ought to think about that for just a second. I meet people all the time that think everybody's against them and nobody even knows their name. A revelation I got a long time ago, the Lord told me, he said, Keith, you're not really that important. Nobody's thinking about you. That was so freeing. 
Nobody's thinking about me. And guess what? Nobody's thinking about you either. You're not that important. You're significant, but you're not that important in everybody else's life. And so all of a sudden, we see Caleb had this vision. He had a filter, a vision of victory. And the other ten spies, they had a vision of defeat because their identity had been corrupted and therefore it distorted the vision of how they saw the world. Because again, if I'm a grasshopper, everybody else is a giant. Look at the next filter. It's kind of similar. It's the filter of success and failure. But I want you to see something. The Holy Spirit really kind of fine-tuned and focused me. And he said, Keith, the filter of success or failure is the way that we see our jobs, our careers, our vocations. It's the way that we see the opportunities and the risk that we have to take in order to climb the mountain, so to speak, and become the people God has called us to be. We're about to read Joshua 14, and Joshua 14, Caleb is now 85 years old. 45 years has passed from the time he stood and said, give us this land. And, and, he, and I want you to see this. He, he, he saw the mountain, and in this scripture, he makes a statement. He says, give me the mountain. Why? Because when you have a vision of success, this is what you think. You think, I can get the promotion. I can close the deal. I can build the team. I can accomplish the task. In sports, a vision of success simply means this. Coach, give me the ball. Give me the ball. I'm going to be honest. When I played basketball, we were in my 11th grade year. We were in the Sweet 16 of the state, and there was three seconds left on the clock, and we were down by two points. And I remember being in the huddle, about to go out on the court, and I remember thinking, I hope they don't give me the ball. And you know what? I would have been the wrong guy to get the ball. Another guy in the, in, the, in the huddle, he said, Coach, give me the ball. You know what the coach said? He said, okay. He worked out a plan. You get the ball. He took the shot, a three-pointer, as the buzzer was going off. It hit the rim, rattled out. And we lost the game. But you know what? I was already destined to lose. At least he had a chance to succeed. Because he had a vision of success. I can do it. I can climb the mountain. I can get the promotion. I can build the team. I can accomplish the task. I meet way too many Christians that have settled on the bottom shelf of their life with no drive to do better for themselves or their family. And God says, I want to give you a vision. I want you to be 85 years old like Caleb and say, give me my mountain. Give me my mountain. Look at that next point, that next filter. The filter of prosperity or poverty. This is a huge filter. The filter of prosperity and poverty. The Lord said, he said, Keith, this filter determines how we see our financial future. It determines the inheritance that we're going to leave to our children. A poverty filter perceives that there's not enough. There's not enough, so therefore I have to hoard and hold on to everything that I have. But a prosperity filter perceives that there's more than enough, so therefore I can give and be a blessing to other people. Let me tell you a story. I had experience several years ago. Curtis and I went out to Houston, Texas to attend a conference, and, and we connected with some amazing people from Joel Olstein's church that we did some mission ministry with, and, and they took us down to Mexico one day. And we went down to Mexico to what they called the City of Blessing. And the city of blessing was literally the local dump. It was the city dump. And there were literally hundreds of families 
that had built houses in the city dump. And they lived every day by gathering from the dump and bartering and trading with other people. And literally there were hundreds of people living there. And literally they were building houses inside the city dump. And the missionaries had named it the city of blessing because they were trying to change the mindset of the people of how they were living their lives. And I remember we were walking through the city and and every little house, and, and we would definitely call it a shack. Every shack had a fence around it. They'd take pallets or whatever they had, and they'd build fence or fences around their houses. And walking through the city dump, hundreds of people, houses, and every house with a fence, I remember thinking to myself, what are they protecting? And I asked the missionary, I said, why does everybody have a fence around their house? And I'll never forget, it wasn't, it wasn't the answer I was looking for, but I'll never forget what they said. They said, well, it's because there's such a poverty mentality that they feel like they have to hoard and hold on to everything that they have and they have to fight to protect it. And then they proceeded to tell me how difficult it was. They said, one of the greatest challenges we've had down here in this community is planning a church. And literally, Curtis and I stood on a place that had been cleared out with parcel block walls and they had a little podium. You remember that one little podium? I stood behind it. You took my picture. That was all there was. They were literally building a church inside the city dump to minister to the hundreds of people that were living there. And this is what the missionaries said. They said, and the greatest challenge we have is is we can't build a church that is a life-giving center in this city because the people have such a poverty mentality. They will not give. How many of you understand that according to Scripture, the key to biblical prosperity is give. (laughs) Give, and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Give, and it will be given to you with the same measure that you give unto others. God will give unto you. See, the, the power of that poverty mentality, that vision of poverty, is that all of a sudden I have this hoarding mentality. I'm just going to hold on to everything I've got because there's probably not enough to go around. Kelly grew up extremely poor, and she will tell you one of the greatest challenges we had to overcome was overcoming a poverty mentality. Because if you grow up and you don't have enough, then you think there's not enough. And all of a sudden, you want to hold on to everything you've got, not because you're a wicked, evil person, but because your filter has been distorted and your vision of reality has been corrupted by a vision of poverty instead of a God who is more than enough. And what's sad about a poverty vision and filter is that it actually keeps you from ever prospering. Because if I'm always holding and I'm never giving, then according to God's word, I'll actually never prosper. You ever seen the show Hoarders? Quite an interesting show. I have to watch it in small bits and pieces because I can't handle it. <laughs> Much of that hoarding mentality is rooted in a poverty spirit. I've got to keep and hold on to everything. But listen to what the Bible says. Philippians 4, 19, Paul says, And my God shall supply all your need. Not your every want, but all your need, 
according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. And my God shall supply all your need. Let's just be honest. All of us in this room have probably went through some financial strain, some worse than others. But here's the realization. There have probably been times in your life that financially you thought, I'm not going to make it. But guess what? You made it. Maybe you were hungry. Maybe you were cold. Maybe a week turned into a month. Maybe a month turned into a year. Maybe a year turned into six years. I don't know how long that journey was. But isn't it amazing that you are still here? Let me tell you why. Because God's provision is not based on your riches. God's provision is based on His riches. And my God will supply all of your needs according to His riches. God doesn't consult your bank account to determine whether He can bless you. But if you don't have a prosperity vision over your life, then you will actually resist the blessing and sabotage your own success. I'm just going to be honest with you. Kelly and I, early on in our marriage, we sabotaged our own financial success because we had a poverty mentality instead of a prosperity mentality. And I see it all the time. I see people that God wants to bless, and He's blessing them, but they can't hold on to the blessing because they have a poverty mentality that keeps them from prospering. And even though God's pouring out, it never stays in. The book of Hosea says it's like putting, putting stuff in a cup that has holes in it. Much of that is directly connected to your vision of prosperity or poverty that is rooted in the filter of your family. Look at the next filter. You guys still with me today? The filter of empowerment or entitlement. I mean, you know, we live in an entitlement culture today. Everybody thinks they deserve everything, and I ought to have what you have because I just ought to have it, right? Let me, let me share this with you. The Holy Spirit said, he said, Keith, this filter determines how you see authority, how you see other people's achievements and successes, and the anointing of God on other individual lives. And this is something I've shared many times. I think a lie, one of the lies we tell our kids all the time is, is when you grow up, you can be anything you want to be. How many know that's not true? Somebody say American Idol. <laughs> you can't be anything you want to be. But you can be everything God's called you to be. You can't be anything, but you can be everything that God has called you to be. Why? Because when you have an entitlement vision, or not an entitlement, an empowerment vision, listen to this. When you have an empowerment vision, you recognize that all of us are uniquely gifted and empowered by God to fulfill the vision and the mission of God upon our lives. You're not short. You're not, you're not, you have not been stripped short. You have been fully equipped. You are empowered by God to be the person God has called you to be. You can't be anything, but you can be everything that God has for you. And when you have an empowerment vision, a filter of empowerment, you look at yourself and say, I have everything I need to be what God's called me to be. You look at other people and you say, you have everything you need to be what God has called you to be. But if I have an entitlement mentality... Then I begin to criticize and complain the accomplishments of others because I want what they got. And let me tell you why. It's a value problem. My vision of entitlement is rooted in my value system. And here's the problem. I don't value the gift that God's given me. So I envy the gift that God's given you. I don't value what God has called me to do. 
So I criticize you because I want to do what you do. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Look with me in Numbers chapter 16. It's a story of a man by the name of Korah. Korah rallied 250 men who came to Moses and Aaron. And basically they said, Moses, you and Aaron have taken too much on yourselves. Everybody can hear from God. We're all the children of God. And we're going to take your place and we're going to kick you out. And we're going to step up because you know what? We're just as special as you are. And look what the Bible says. Moses is addressing Korah. And Moses spoke again to Korah. He says, now listen, you Levites. Does it seem insignificant to you? Listen to that. Does it seem insignificant to you that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all the community of Israel to be near him so you can serve the Lord's tabernacle and stand before the people to minister to them? Korah, he has already given this special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? And the Lord, the, and, and the Lord is the one you and your followers are, followers are really revolting against. For who is Aaron that you're complaining about him? Now look at verse 32 because God kind of shows his response to this entitlement mentality. The Bible says, And then the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men along with their households, all their followers who were standing with them, and everything they owned. So they went down alive into the grave along with all their belongings, and the earth closed up over them, and they all vanished from among the people. See, Korah had a vision problem because Korah had a value problem. He didn't value the gift and calling of God on his life. And I'm just going to be honest with you. If I see anything in the church, I see this. I see people who are extremely gifted, extremely talented, and extremely anointed and called by God. But they don't value their gift. They want to be on the stage. They want to sing or they want to play or they want to be recognized. And what happens when you don't value your gift, you get an entitlement vision that begins to critique and criticize the people that are doing the thing you want. You ever heard somebody say, well, if I was the boss, well, let me just be honest with you, probably everybody on that place is glad you're not. Come on, Jesus. Hey, let's be honest, we've all seen people Strive for something they weren't gifted and called to do. And when they got the position they thought they wanted, they were miserable. I've seen it more times than I can count. I've seen people obtain things that they wanted, but they weren't gifted by God to do it. And instead of being fulfilled and satisfied, they became miserable. And not only did they become miserable, they made everybody miserable that was connected to them. When you have an empowerment vision, you recognize I'm empowered, you're empowered. I can't be anything, but we can all be everything. God's called us to be. And what that allows me, when I have an empowerment vision instead of an entitlement vision, I can celebrate my gift, and I can honor your gift, and I can honor your gift, and I can honor your gift, and we can actually lock arms and work together, and we can build the kingdom. And we can actually have a whole lot of fun along the way. And that filter typically comes from our family. Y'all got a couple more in you? The filter of significance and insignificance. This filter determines not only how you see yourself, but really it determines how you see those that have been entrusted to your care. Hebrews eleven twenty three 23, it says, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's eating. They saw he was not an ordinary child. They had a vision. They saw something in Moses 
that said, hey, I'm willing to risk my life and I'm willing to defy the king so I can save my child. See, that, that filter of significance. Let me tell you why they saw significance in their son. They saw significance in their son because they saw significance in themselves. See, your identity really becomes a mirror through which you see and reflect to the world. The way I see you is typically the way I see myself. It grieves my heart when I hear parents tell their kids, you're sorry, you're no good, you're lazy, you're never going to amount to anything, nothing good's ever come your way. It, it breaks my heart. Let, let me give you a little insight. Think about the most negative, critical person you know. Don't look at your neighbor. <laughs> Think about the most negative, critical person you know. And let me tell you something I know about that person. And I don't even know their name. This is what I know about them, 100% true. They have no self-worth. They are insignificant in their own eyes. And when I look at myself in the mirror and I see insignificance and no value and no worth, I treat others the way I see myself. And the only way I can feel good about being a nobody is i got to tear down all the somebodies that are around me. And that is so true. Where does that filter come from? Many times it's the filter of our family. Moses' parents saw he was no ordinary child. They saw significance in him. And therefore they fought for him. The last filter is the filter of faith or fear. The filter of faith or fear. The filter of faith or fear determines whether you see the hand of God or whether you see the hand of the enemy at work in your life. I'm just going to be honest with you. I hear some Christians talk about the devil and it sounds like he's Superman. The devil's doing this and the devil's doing that and the devil's doing this and the devil's doing that and the devil's doing that. The devil did this, my family did this, my and I mean, all they talk about is how bad the devil is. How big the devil is, how strong the devil is, how the devil's doing all this stuff. And all the while in my mind, I'm sitting there listening to him, trying to be respectful. And I'm thinking, man, how big's your God? How big's your God? See, the, the vision, if you have a vision of faith, you're going to see the hand of God in the most horrible circumstances of your life. When all hell breaks loose. If you've got a vision of faith, you know what will happen? You'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. Listen to what the scripture says also about Moses. Moses is no longer a child. Hebrews 11, look what it says. Verse 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. And he kept right on going. Faith will keep you going on and pressing on and going on and pressing on and going on and pressing on. When all hell breaks loose, when it goes from bad to worse to worse than I could have imagined it could ever be, faith gives you the grace to keep going on. Look what it says. He kept going on because it was a vision thing. Because he kept his eyes Look what it says, because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Think about what Moses did. When Moses left Egypt, he was literally defying the most powerful man, the most financially prosperous nation, and the greatest military army on the planet. I mean, this was not him snubbing his boss at work. 
This was him defying the most powerful man with the money and the military force to destroy them. And yet Moses did not live by fear of the king's anger. He lived by faith because he saw the one who was invisible. A filter of faith that sees the hand of God in the midst of even the worst of circumstances. Because if God is for us, then who can even be against us? And he works all things together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Look at that last point. So here's some good news. The good news is that through your spiritual family, it's through the church that we connect to Christ. It's through the church that the preaching, the teaching, the study, the discipline, the connection, the relationships, all those things that we get introduced to the truth of Scripture, right? It's through the church that the Word of God and the life of God and the community of faith comes alive and we begin to be connected to and, and identify with the truth of Scripture. So through the church, think about this, through your spiritual family, your filters can be enhanced, enlarged, or Replace. See, some of you, as you were listening to this today, you said, man, I got the right filter, praise God, but maybe I need to enhance it a little bit. I got the right filter, but maybe I need to enlarge it. Maybe my vision isn't really as big as God's vision. And then some of you listening to me, like me, <laughs> you said, you know what, I recognize there are some filters in my life that don't need to be enhanced. They don't need to be enlarged. They need to be replaced. <laughs> I need to trade it in. I need to trade in a natural family filter for a spiritual family filter that lets me see my life through the lens and eyes of the heart of God. Philippians 4, 13, we all know it, right? The ten-finger prayer, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what? I can change, I can grow, and I can become the person God has called me to be, and so can you. Amen? Last point, here it is. Family matters. Because in our families, we discover identity, we define our values, and we develop vision. You are the cultural engineer, and through Christ, through Christ, we can re-engineer our world through our families. Let me give you some hope today. You want a better world? Let's cultivate a better family. Because the family is the foundation stone of society. And it doesn't matter what your family looks like. You and your family are significant, and it can all change with one person. Isn't it amazing? I, I like to hear those stories of faith where people share their testimonies. Brother Carl Catanata is a part of NRP, and I'll never forget sitting down with him one of the first times we met. And he, he made this statement. He said, he said, I was the first person in our family to come to faith in Christ. And we were sitting around that table with him. His wife was there, and she got saved. And their kids were there, and they got saved. And their grandkids were there, and his brother was there, and his sister were there. And all of a sudden, we saw this entire legacy of faith. Because one person made Jesus the Lord of their life. See, that's how powerful you are. You are the cultural engineer of your family. And one person can change everything. I want us to bow our heads today. I want to just challenge you as I do every Sunday two things the first thing is simply this I don't know if there's any filters in your life that need to be changed today but if there are this is how we do it the Bible just simply says 
that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Keith? Are you talking about sin? I thought you were talking about filters. Well, if I believe a lie and I live a lie, I'm living in sin. I'm missing the mark. And so right now, some of you just need to confess, God, I, I've, I've been looking at life through the wrong filter. My vision has affected my decisions, and I've had the wrong vision. And Lord, I confess it as sin. And Lord, today in the name of Jesus, I renounce and break all agreement with the lies of the enemy. And today I receive truth. I receive the truth. I am well able. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am well able. So right now, I just want to encourage you. Just do some business with the Lord right now. Let the, let the, the values of Christ become the vision of your life. Walk out what God has for you. The second thing I want to do, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here today in this room, is maybe you're here this morning, you realize, Pastor Keith, you know what, i got a natural family, and I've got some filters through which I look at the world, there's no doubt about that, but I don't have a spiritual family. I've never been saved, I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I want to be that person. Maybe you're like Brother Carl, maybe you'll be the first person in your family, maybe you'll be the hundredth person in your family, but it doesn't really matter if you're the first or the last, what matters is, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, and today you can trust Him, today you can be saved, that's what the Bible calls it, being saved, saved from our sin, saved from ourself. And so today, if that's you, say, Pastor Keith, today I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I believe He died on the cross. I believe He rose again on the third day. I realize I'm a sinner, and I want to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand. Just all over the building. If you're online, just hit that little hand emoji. Type in the comment box. I'm raising my hand. And this is your moment. If you don't know that you know that you know that Jesus is Lord of your life, today's the day. Today, you can be a part of a spiritual family. We'll love you. We'll help you. We'll walk with you. We're not perfect. But we serve a perfect God who loves and cares about each and every one of us. And if you don't know him today, right now is your time just to raise your hand. Just a simple act of faith that says, today, Father, I, I believe. And I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm willing to surrender my life to your Lordship. I want to just pray right now with those who are maybe watching online. If you're here today, let's just pray this prayer. All of us together, let's say it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe. Jesus died on the cross for my sins rose again on the third day I confess that I'm a sinner I ask you to come into my heart and my life be my Lord and my Savior I give you my life and I receive your forgiveness and grace in Jesus name Amen and Amen let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise Two things I want to ask you to do. We're going to get ready just to close out with a little prayer circle. But I want to encourage you to do something. We're going to take seven laps around the building today. Just right here in the sanctuary. I want to encourage you though, if you have kids in children's ministry, I'm going to let you go ahead and get your kids. And then you can come back and you can circle around with us. And then, before we leave, I need everybody to make their way to the cafe. We got ice cream. We got waffles to go with ice cream. I don't know who thought of that, but it looked really good. So I'm going to try it out today. But we want you to get the scoop on small groups, okay? We want you to get connected today because we need each other. And we need a spiritual family. So if you can, go ahead and grab your kids. You can bring them back in here. We're going to take seven laps. If you want to join us, I'm going to ask Kelly to come join me right here. We're just going to walk around the sanctuary. I just want you to begin to pray. They're going to bring some worship music up. 
and we're just going to begin to pray. And on the last lap, when we get to number seven, I'll just rally us together, and we're going to give a shout of victory and declare God's kingdom over this place. Amen.